Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fusion. We're so glad that you're worshiping along with us this morning. And welcome again to those of you worshiping online as well. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And invite you to stand and worship along with us. Yeah. 
the peace, the storm surrounding me, let it break at your name. Call the sea to stand, the rage in me to stand everywhere. Silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. We call these walls to call these lungs to sing once everybody first uh, kids you guys are dismissed to children's worship so if you're heading downstairs you guys can head that way now have fun
also just want to send out a big thank you to everybody again. The generosity of Hardaway is, is tremendous. Um, a lot of things happen here on campus and throughout the neighborhood and everything else. Thank you to the generosity for the people of Hardaway on a regular basis. And if you guys would like to continue to give or give, there's uh, plates on the, on the sides, and we've also got many ways online that you can find through hardawake.com to text to give, um, setting up accounts, things like that. So please feel free to do that. Also, on a more specific note, in a couple of weeks, we have Summer Service Week coming up, which was when about 150 teenagers will be descending upon our campus and staying here all week long. And there's lots of different ways that we can use help for that. We're, we're feeding them all week long, obviously. We're, they're sleeping overnight all, the whole time. So if you're looking for ways to do that, you can find uh, places to give and ways to give online, too, uh, through our Facebook page and other ways. So if you would pray with me, please, we're going to begin with Psalm 18. God, it is you who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand in the heights. He trains my hands for battle. He ar- my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path. For my feet, so that my ankles do not give way. Lord, thank you for being a God of empowerment. Thank you for providing us with the strength we need every day to confidently tackle those challenges that you put before us. Thank you for the reassurance that you keep our way secure. And even when that way is unclear, we know that you walk with us through it all. Help us to feel your presence in a very real way this week, Lord. Help that knowledge of you and your strength be all that we need to stand tall, stand strong, and be ready to take on those things in this world that are not of you. Grant us the vision to see opportunity. As a church, we want to live for you. But I feel we often innocently miss chances to be your representatives. Help us to see those prospects so clearly that we cannot deny them this week, Lord. As you open those doors for us, help us to stand boldly and confidently into action, knowing you stand with us as we serve the world around us in your name. With that confidence, please also grant us humility, because we know that ultimately it's you who grants us opportunity and the ability to grasp it. Lord, bless this community. We know that there are many that suffer hardships of many kinds. Please grant reprieve, healing, restoration, and help us to find ways where we can step in and help as well where it's needed. Lord, continue to provide that broad path to our feet so that we may better walk in your ways. Amen. Well, hey, good morning. Thank you. I, I just love to hear your voice and uh, respond. And uh, My name is Pastor JB, and uh, it's a pleasure to be together once again. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I try to say this every week. I'd love that opportunity. Uh, we're going to have donuts again outside, just out that way. So if maybe, maybe we can meet over a blueberry Bowerman donut. Does that sound good? All right. And uh, also, just a, just a little, just on a personal note, uh, our family is going to be heading out on vacation on Wednesday. And so we would appreciate your prayers. Uh, we're going to be visiting Yvonne's family out in California for two weeks. And so we won't be with you for a couple weeks, at least here. We'll probably try to tune in. Um, a little later because we're three hours back, uh,
back. Yeah, that's how you say it. Uh, but anyway, we'd appreciate your prayers for health and safety as well. And we're looking forward to that time away. This morning, though, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And if you've been with us this summer, you know that the book of Acts is, is the account of the Holy Spirit working in and through the, the church of Jesus Christ, expanding this movement outward from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, we find ourselves this week in Acts chapter 16. And if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 16. Well, we're going to do things just a little bit different, but Acts chapter 16 is uh, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And Steve's got a map up there. Uh, if you'll notice on the map, we begin in, in, on the right side. The starting point is Antioch in Syria. And he begins working his way across Asia Minor to, to Tarsus and Derby and Lystra. Lystra is where he picks up Timothy. And he, that name might sound familiar if you're familiar with the scriptures. Uh, Timothy, a young follower of Jesus that, that Paul really mentors. He joins the journey at this point. We don't have time to kind of go into that too much. And then we read our account we're going to read together uh, retells of Paul and Silas and the disciples working their way uh, around Asia Minor and, and the Spirit really directing them where to go. But we're going to really find our grounding this morning in the city of Philippi. And uh, Steve, man, I, I didn't do this. Steve was able to, to kind of zero in. Uh, but you'll notice Philippi is in modern-day Greece. It is the first church plant in Europe. And so it's a significant moment. And in Philippi is where the gospel of Jesus Christ really collides with the Roman Empire. And that's kind of the tension we are going to be exploring this morning. And to, to do that, I want to do something a little different. Instead of reading all of Acts 16, uh, which is a lot of verses, what I want to do is kind of read these first few verses that kind of set it up. And then during our time together, we're going to be working our way through the different encounters in Acts 16 as we go. Sound good? But for now, let's, I'd invite you to stand, if you're willing and able, as we hear God speak to us. We'll be reading uh, just verses 6 through 10. Paul and his com companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Here you have the Spirit directing Paul and his crew where to go and where not to go. Don't go there with the gospel. And so they passed by, verse 8, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, this modern-day Greece, standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And Father, once again, we ask, Holy Spirit, that your, by your power, Spirit, you would open our hearts to your word, to your truth. And Lord, by your grace and in your wisdom that you would help us to take these words written 2,000 years ago and continue to make them relevant and impactful for our lives 
today as we look to faithfully follow you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Kind of a quick, fun question. Any of you uh, know someone or maybe are that person who's particularly competitive? Any, any competitive folks out there? Yep, yep, kind of a competitive spirit. Now, just for fun, don't raise your hand on this one. You don't want to raise your hand. But any, any of you maybe know someone who's like over-the-top competitive, right? Maybe your husband or wife. I hear some giggling, maybe some, maybe some, maybe some elbow jabs in the ribs. There we go. Yeah, overly competitive. Now, now I'm going to kind of paint a caricature, so I'm sure this doesn't represent anyone out there. But, but there are some people who are so competitive, like they just have this competitive drive that, that they consider everything a competition, right? Even when there's no shared understanding of this fact, right? So, here, so here's some, some just fun examples. Let's say you're driving home from the beach and you kind of got a caravan of cars and, and just one of those cars thinks it's a race. And all of a sudden they come zipping by you on 31 and you're like, whoa, what's, what's going on? Like, this is not a race. Or you're out to dinner and uh, your spouse maybe finishes their steak and they drop their fork like they're dropping a mic, like, boom, done. Give me another one. And you're like, where are we? Nathan's famous hot dog stand? What are you, what are you talking about, you know? Or family game nights. Maybe in your family you're like, we're just not doing family game nights anymore because it ends in a bad place. Or church softball league. Is there a church softball league in Holland? There is? Okay. I'm new to the area. And now all of a sudden your church isn't invited back. Okay. I, I'm, just, I'm just painting a caricature just for fun. But there's this competitive spirit that is in some of us. And, and, and the danger of that is when we're so competitive. By the way, anyone seen Kicking and Screaming? Do you know that movie? It's one of my favorites, Will Ferrell. He's like a kid's soccer coach and he lives this through and through in that way. Anyway, it's hilarious. But the danger is that this competitive spirit leads us to a place where, where we're, we're at a place where we're going to win at all costs, right? And the danger there is that sometimes the costs of winning are pretty great. Now, that takes a certain competitive spirit uh, to kind of bring this to Acts 16. It's not a competitive spirit that's compelling Paul and Silas. It is the Holy Spirit, right? And of course, it's a different purpose. It's not so much winning, um, but it's the purpose of, I guess, kind of winning, but bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But for Paul and Silas, it, it brings them to the same kind of zeal and passion and fervor to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, we're going to come back to this idea in a little bit, but in Acts 16, the same kind of zeal leads them by the Spirit. The Spirit leads them, and as the Spirit leads Paul and the disciples on these missionary journeys, they've been meeting resistance along the way, right? And we've been reading and, and, and hearing about that resistance. But up until this point, most of that resistance has been coming from Jewish religious authorities because of the words they're preaching. But here in Philippi, for the first time, we have the gospel and the kingdom of God butting heads directly with the Roman Empire. And the resistance is coming from the kingdom, if you will, of Rome. And that's kind of the, the tension that we're going to be wrestling with. When the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdoms of this world, what does that look like and how does that interact? And, and I think the, as we explore that together, it's really helpful because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. 
And yet we live in a world where there's all these other competing kingdoms as well. And so we're going to be looking at Paul and Silas in Philippi and examining how the kingdom of God comes to its comes and breaks into the reality and then trying to apply that and think of what we can gather from that as we think about our context today. And here's how we're going to come at it. Luke highlights three individuals in Acts chapter 16 that we're going to follow. There's Lydia, there's a female slave, and then there's a jailer. And what we're going to do is explore each of these interactions and see how the gospel transformed the lives of these individuals and then how out of that the kingdom of God comes into conflict with the kingdom of Rome. And then we're going to come back to our own context and see what we can gather from that. Competing kingdoms in Philippi. Let's jump in. Acts 16, looking at Lydia. Lydia, who's a wealthy purple cloth dealer. Now that, in our context, what is that? Why is that significant? Well, let's dive into the text. Verse 11 through 15. We have Paul, Silas, and here's, here's an important note, actually, Luke. Okay, did you notice in, in the passage that we read, verses 6 through 10, that there was a shift in voice in verse 10. Did you notice that? Um, Luke has been, is the author of the book of Acts, and throughout the account, he's been using the third person, they, them, they're doing these things. In verse 10, the voice shifts, and we read, after Paul had seen the vision, we. Suddenly, it's first person. So, what, what happened? Well, it's at this point in the journey that Luke joins with Paul on the missionary journey. And now we have Luke as a first-hand witness of all the things that he's writing about, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And you're going to have this voice, this first-person voice, carry through in Acts, much of Acts, as we move forward. That's the side note. Let's read on. We read, Luke writes this, that they head to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in Macedonia. That's verse 12. Uh, continue to have your Bibles open. Encourage you. What, they enter a new city. Now, if, if we've learned anything from Paul, what would be Paul's first stop as he enters into a new city? Where would he go? Synagogue, right? He would go, always go to the synagogue first. Now, in Philippi, there's no synagogue. And so instead of going to a synagogue that's not there, he goes to a river outside of the city. Now, why is there not a synagogue? Now, there's some debate. Is it because, um, is it because that there was a conflict and, and Roman persecution that, didn't, that prevented them from building a synagogue? Or more likely, there were actually not 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi. Because according to Jewish law, you had to have 10 Jewish males to form a synagogue. And what we have is is the crew going to this river and engaging and interacting with women. And so instead of having a synagogue, they go to a moving body of water because there's ritual cleansing, right? So water is a, is a, is a typical place, and this is a place of prayer. And it's at this place of prayer that we're told that they sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Picking up at verse 14, we read this. There was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, she was a worshiper of God. Now Luke is giving us a few details about Lydia that are significant. First, she's a woman. In the ancient Roman world, right, it's not right, but women had less influence and credibility. So that's significant. Second, she's not a Jewish woman, 
but she is a worshiper of God. She is a Gentile, but one who worships the one true God of the Jewish people. And the third thing we learn is that she is from Thyatira, and she is a dealer in purple cloth. Now here we got to step back into the ancient Roman world. What's significant about this? Thyatira was known for this trade, and it's dyeing of, pur- of, cl- of fabric to the color purple. The color purple is a royal color, right? We, we, we kind of have that sense even today, and that kind of has carried over a little bit. But Roman royalty Roman elites, the upper class, wore purple. And so she is a woman who has become quite wealthy as a businesswoman, providing fabric for Roman elites and Roman royalty. In fact, she is so successful as a businesswoman, we read later that she has a house. And it's a house that's significant size-wise to have a household and later on hosting large groups of people. So she is wealthy and successful. And what do we read? Lydia hears the gospel. We read, continue reading in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. Lydia experiences and hears and is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is her story. Let's talk a little bit about that. She hears the good news of Jesus. The Spirit opens her heart to receive this gift of grace. And then she and her entire household is baptized and she invites Paul and the crew to stay at her house. And what's the result of her conversion is Lydia's house and then also her financial resources become this kind of home base for Paul. This becomes their home base so that they can stay in Philippi for an extended period of time. And not only just for Paul during this stop, but if we fast forward to the end of chapter 16, verse 40, we read this. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. What we can deduce from this is that Lydia's house became kind of the home base for the house church in Philippi. God doing significant things through this Greek um, businesswoman who has come to faith. Now that's Lydia's story. I want to dig a little bit deeper to see how the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Rome are actually colliding in this moment. The kingdom impact. And here's how it happens. The kingdom of God here is is leveraging the kingdom of Rome for God's purposes. Leveraging the kingdoms of this world. Leveraging earthly kingdoms. And here's how, this is incredible. I, I find this to be really punk rock. Can I say punk rock? Yeah, I think I can. Follow this line of reasoning. Lydia is significantly aiding the work of the gospel in Philippi. She's providing space to meet. She's likely providing food and resources, funding Paul and Silas and their work. Where does Lydia get her money from her business? But who's her, who's her customer? Roman elites. Roman royalty, Roman authorities, emperors, kings, governors, right? That is who is funding the church in Philippi. The same people who later on become so disturbed by this movement that they want to stomp it out, they are the ones funding the church in Philippi in the Roman Empire. There's something punk rock about that. 
God's kingdom leveraging the powers and the authorities of the kingdoms of this world for his purposes, working within the system to further the gospel and to further the kingdom. And sometimes, friends, this is how God's, God works within the kingdoms of this world, leveraging to further his kingdom, working within the system to further his purposes in this world. We see, it, we see it here in this instance, but we also see it with Paul later on, where he uses his citizenship. Paul is a citizen of Rome, and he uses that fact in order to get him to Rome eventually, leveraging the system, leveraging the powers. And I think really, if we think about it for today, this is kind of the most common strategy for the church today and maybe the one that we are most comfortable with because we live in a country where there's freedoms and there's opportunities right and so we can very easily navigate and work within the system of this of our country and our nation in order to further God's purposes in this in our country and in the world and beyond now an important word about that the danger of that of working within the system within the, the culture and within the kingdoms is to the, the danger is to be cautioned about, okay, who are we serving? The danger is, are we serving these earthly kingdoms or are we serving the kingdom of God? That's, that's the danger, but we see an example of the kingdom of God leveraging the kingdoms of this world. That's the first thing. Let's continue in the book, the chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Luke tells us of another time when they return to this place of prayer and they're met by... A female slave, verse 16 and following. A woman who's caught in spiritual and physical and economic bondage. We don't know much about this woman. In some texts, they, they refer to her as a, a slave girl, so she might be a young woman. But all we do know is that she is a female slave, verse 16, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So let's, let's dig into that a little bit. She is a woman who's caught in spiritual bondage. There is an evil spirit that has, has, has her in bondage, right? And that spirit has given her this, this ability to predict the future. And because of that ability, now she is a slave. She has been enslaved by these owners who, who use and use this ability that she has and they've gained quite a living for themselves because of this. And what we, what we, the scene is that she keeps following Paul around for a few days. And this is what we read. She's shouting. While he's trying to share the gospel, she is shouting. This is what she's shouting. These men are, serv- these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, is that a true statement? Yeah, sure it is but it's not helpful to their mission and what they're trying to accomplish. And so we read, we continue reading that Paul finally becomes so annoyed with this young girl that he casts the spirit out and the spirit leaves her. Now, acknowledge, that's not the most noble of motivations, right? But it works. And she is set free from this spirit. And we're not given many details from there, but what we do know just from this encounter is that this young girl experiences the gospel. She experiences the power of the gospel. And let's look at her story. She is liberated. 
She is set free from exploitation. This young woman experiences the power of God in a completely life-changing way. The moment that that spirit left her, that moment she, that spirit left her, she becomes useless to her owners. She's of no use to them. And so she is liberated from spiritual bondage. And in that moment, she's also liberated from a physical and economic bondage from her owners. Now again, Luke doesn't give us what happens next with her, but it's easy for us to imagine her experience and to imagine that maybe she continued following Paul and the disciples, desperate to find out by what power, who who is this name of Jesus Christ that, that just set me free from this spiritual oppression? It's easy for us to imagine her following because she has nowhere else to turn. It's easy for us to imagine this time following, not, not shouting, but listening and hearing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to imagine her giving her life to the power of God. That's her story. But even in her story, again, we see the kingdom of God coming and clashing with the kingdoms of this world. And here's how the impact happens. Here the kingdom impact is the kingdom of God dismantling the kingdoms of this world. With one statement, Paul completely dismantles and destroys these slave owners' entire business and livelihood. They have lost their source of income. Not on a macro scale, right? But on a micro scale in this Instance, regardless of Paul's motivations, God's power and the inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit completely dismantles an unjust and corrupt system that is exploiting and has preyed upon this vulnerable young girl. In a moment, it's been dismantled and destroyed. And yes, sometimes the kingdom of God kind of leverages and works within systems of this world, but sometimes as the gospel spreads through earthly kingdoms, the power of God simply needs to dismantle and destroy unjust systems, practices, and yes, sometimes even kingdoms. We see other examples of this kingdom strategy of unjust systems are dismantled in the Gospels and beyond. We see the same in, in, in our history as well, where the kingdom of God comes in and things that are unjust are dismantled and destroyed. Even within the church, we think about 500 years ago with the Reformation, there were systems that were unjust that got dismantled. Even in our, in our history as, as a world and as a nation, the abolition of slavery and the civil rights movement, things that were unjust are dismantled and destroyed and rightfully so because they're not congruent with the kingdom of God and sometimes that's how the kingdom of God is inbreaking into our world. Things need to be dismantled. The gospel dismantling unjust systems and practices. So sometimes... Leveraging and working within the system, sometimes dismantling the system. And then finally we enter into the third encounter, an encounter with the jailer. And this one's completely different. It's a beautiful story. Let's, let's look at verse 19 and following. We read the encounter with this jailer, an employee of the state of Rome. 
what happens to get there. They're, the owners of this slave girl are furious at their loss of income, right? And they seize Paul and Silas. They stir up the authorities. They bring up serious charges. They stir up the crowd. And then Paul and Silas are stripped and they're beaten and they're thrown into prison. But there's, so, there's so many things we could explore in this one passage. But did you notice that Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel for a few days now? And it wasn't until their, their bottom line was impacted that suddenly they had a problem with the gospel. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, August 1 and chapter 19. But here in the prison is where we're introduced to the jailer. He is the one who's responsible to guard Paul and Silas, to guard them carefully. And so he places shackles upon them. He put them in the inner cell. And what's Paul and Silas' response? I got to tell you, this wouldn't be my response, I don't think. They're in a jail cell, prisoned unjustly. And what we read is they begin singing hymns and praying well into the night. And it's about midnight and they're, and they're praying and the other prisoners must be hearing all this. And this is what we read, verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now we enter into the jailer's story. When those doors flew open, this jailer knew his life was, op- was over. From his perspective, if, if those prison doors had opened and those prisoners had escaped, and why wouldn't they? What other conclusion could you draw? he would be executed by his superiors in the Roman guard. But before he's able to take his own life, Paul speaks up and he shouts, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we hear that question and and we think in certain terms. But this jailer, you have to understand, he's not asking a theological question. He has no concept of, of, of what we understand as heaven and hell. and, and he, That's not what he's asking. He is concerned for his physical life in this moment. Because Why? Because he fears the Roman Empire that he has given his life to serve. Another side note, the kingdoms of this world, they don't care about your life kingdom of God cares and even though he's asking a question about his physical well-being Paul speaks up and shares a deeper truth than he was even asking and these beautiful words in verse 31 believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household a gift better than just your physical life. But your entire life, friend, is about to be changed forever. And they share the gospel with this jailer. And then what happens? We keep reading and this jailer then brings them to his house in the middle of the night. And he begins washing their wounds. They had been flogged and beaten. He he begins washing their wounds. And then he, the jailer, and his entire household are baptized 
And then all of them, this is all in the middle of the night, they share a meal together. And what we read is that he was filled with joy, verse 34, because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. We just need to pause at what ju- and just marvel at what we just read. I mean, this is a remarkable account, an unlikely story of redemption. Uh, it, it shows the, the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. And I, and I wrestled with, I struggled with how to sum this up. And in some ways, it's the kingdom of God just turning the kingdom of this world upside down on its head, working in a way that's just baffling to the kingdoms of this world. I tried to sum it up, and the only word I came up with was, was love. Kingdom impact, love. Kingdom of God, compelling God's people to love people out of these kingdoms of this world and into the kingdom of God. Paul and Silas suffered, and yet in their suffering, they kept their eyes on Jesus. And it brought them to an opportunity to love a jailer, to seek after to seek after his well-being, to sacrifice, to risk their lives and eventually share the gospel of Jesus with this man and his entire household. And I think about Paul and Silas, they they could have maybe leveraged, worked within the system and, and claimed, I'm a Roman citizen, let me go. Maybe they could have done that earlier. What they certainly could have done is, is destroyed this little microcosm of the system in the jailer's life. When those doors flew open, they could have dismantled his system by just walking right out and he would have been executed. And maybe that kind of competitive nature is, well, we won this round and he lost. But that's not what they did. Compelled by the Spirit, they stayed in that prison. Not only did they stay there, but they stopped this jailer from taking his own life. They loved him. And in loving him, God opened this jailer and not only his heart, but his entire household opened him up to the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus Christ in his life. And friends, this is radically upside down working of the kingdom of God. And it looks like foolishness to the world. And to be honest, without the power of God, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is foolishness. But not when, not when we have the gospel, not when the power of God is at work and leading and directing us. And friends, I, you know, when we think about these in different ways the kingdom impacts the kingdoms of this world, this is the most intriguing, the most dangerous, kind of the most terrifying, <laughs> if I'm honest. And yet I think the most potentially powerful and impactful kingdom strategy or impact to radically love people like Jesus loves us and loves people. To radically love people, even people who are serving the kingdoms of this world, people who are serving the causes and purposes that we find revolting, people that we would consider to be our enemies, to love them radically and sacrificially putting our lives on the line in a way to help them see and experience the love of Jesus Christ? Radical, scary. 
But the hope, it's through this that the Holy Spirit will change and captivate a person's heart. It takes courage, it takes faith, it takes the leading of the Spirit, but the potential impact when our enemies turn to God. I can't think of a greater impact in this world. Which brings us back kind of to our own time. The competing kingdoms in our world today. Here's the reality. We, we live in a time when there continue to be a lot of different kingdoms and powers competing for power and control in our world. Nations, yes, but also corporations and companies, individuals who have come to a lot of power and influence in our world. And, and underneath and behind it all, there's principalities and powers, spiritual beings, right? But there's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one kingdom of God that we give our ultimate allegiance to. It's the kingdom of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how do we live as citizens of God's kingdom among so many competing earthly kingdoms? How do we live faithfully as citizens of God primarily? Even though we're, we're citizens of this world, we're citizens of this country, we're members of a society, how do we navigate this faithfully and do it well? And the beauty of Acts 16 is that it gives us an answer. That there is no simple answer. <laughs> There's no simple way that we navigate this. There's no one way that we navigate this. It's not a simple path. Sometimes to live faithfully as a Christian in this world today means that like Lydia, we work within the system, right? We work within the opportunities that we have, but the purpose of that is to advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God. It's not to advance any earthly kingdom. It's to advance God's purposes in this world, and sometimes we're called to work within the system. And many of us have been given that opportunity, and praise God for that. But sometimes, sometimes the moving of the Spirit leads us that we need to work and fight and dismantle corrupt systems. And we need to say that is wrong and we have power and the ability to speak against that and, and we're called to do that. Sometimes we need to do that as well. And then sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit moves within our hearts and moves us towards some other way that at first glance seems absurd and impossible and we can't do it in our own strength, but we have to depend on the love and grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ to follow. It's a third way. But regardless, whatever way God is moving in our midst, here's the key and it's where we began. The only way that we can know the right path is as if we listen to the Spirit just as Paul and Silas were listening to the Spirit as the Spirit was telling them to go this way, don't go that way. We need to be attentive and in tune with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we don't have rhythms where we're, we're listening, if we don't have rhythms where we're, we're in God's Word, how do we expect to hear the voice of God telling us where to go and how to act and how to live? That's why we're leaning into the disciplines, right? Right? We need to be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
And we need to have a focus, a singular focus on furthering the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our call. That is our singular focus. Because we live in a world of competing kingdoms. And there, there's, in some of us, there is this competitive impulse, right? To win at all costs. But, but there's a difference because so often this win at all costs is about us, right? I need to win. I need to make it happen. And it becomes about us and what we can do to advance whatever it is. And yet the reality of the gospel is, you know what? God's got this. And the victory is in Jesus Christ. His kingdom will pre- prevail. You know, as I think about that, I'm, uh, you know, the Olympics are coming up this summer, right? Just in a few weeks, a few days. Brought back to the Summer Olympics of, of 1992. Barcelona, right? Most often I think of the dream team. But I'm, I'm thinking of the men's 400 meter race. There's a, there was a British runner named Derek Redman. Does that name sound familiar? He was one of the best runners, fastest runners in Great Britain, in Europe. And he had a real shot at winning. He trained his whole life for this moment. And the, the opening gun f- goes off and the race starts. And all the runners take off. But about halfway through the race, Derek Redman comes up limping. And eventually he claps on the track with his face buried in his hands. His hamstring had popped. And he knew that he was not going to be able to finish that race. But something within him drove him to get up. And this dramatic scene, he starts limping around the track. And maybe you've seen this scene. Out from the stands, a man runs onto the track pushing security guards away who are like, what are you doing? He's like, I am his father. Meets up with Derek Redman on the track, puts his arm around his son. His son bursts into tears. And the two of them walk the last 100 meters to finish the race. And I don't know if you know this, but Derek Redman still holds the world record for the slowest 400-meter Olympic in Olympic history. But I would challenge you, who really won the race that day? Who's remembered? I don't know who won the race. Who had a greater impact on the world? You see, following Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit has the potential not just to to leverage the kingdoms of this world, not just to dismantle earthly kingdoms, but to redefine what winning actually looks like in this world. It's not about gaining power and influence here and now. It's about seeing people's lives be changed, not just now, but for all eternity. The kingdom of God redefines winning. And it's to that end that we strive. It's to that end that we follow the Spirit's leading faithfully. 
to see what only God can do in our midst. You join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you, you are God, that you are Lord. We're thankful that you are, you are powerful and that Lord, just as, as you work and worked in miraculous and incredible ways to change lives and to further your kingdom in the first century, Lord, you continue to work in powerful ways today. Lord, as we study your word, in some ways it's a little overwhelming because there isn't a simple roadmap for how to live faithfully in this world. There's not a a step-by-step instruction manual of, of how do I live faithfully here in West Michigan in 2021. But Lord, your word reminds us and Lord Jesus, you have promised us that the same spirit that guided your disciples in Philippi 2,000 years ago, that same spirit guides us, your people, today. So Lord, help us to not just be focused. It's so easy for us in our competitive and our do-everything spirit to focus on the what and, 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 and how but Lord, instead to remember to focus on the who. The one who goes with us and the ones you've called us to love. Lord, may you redefine winning. May you redefine what that finish line is so that as your church, we would go out and serve your purposes here in this world. And Lord, we're going we're gonna to mess up at times. Thank you for your grace, Lord. May we, may we do so together as a community in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand and worship with us.
singing the words to that song that we worship the king of kings the lord of lords the one who is the king over a kingdom the lord yet a god who who operates unlike any earthly king would ever do in giving his life for us that's powerful that is what defines us as god's people and so live into that gospel truth as you live in this world, and as you do receive God's blessing, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Let's enjoy some donuts. (laughs) 